MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. Today, the Select Committee on January 6th votes on holding Bannon in criminal contempt. Oleg Deripaska's New York and D.C. homes are raided by the FBI. Police are dying of COVID in large numbers. The full House is scheduled to vote on the Bannon criminal contempt referral this Thursday. More info on Matt Gates and Republicans are trying to block Biden's nominee to run the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Hello, Dana. Hello. It seems my Welsh uh, pronunciations were quite the hit. Quite the hit with the Beans listeners. I love how when uh, our producers sent us the good news today, they're like, (laughs) 0% Welsh. Good pronunciations. Congratulations. Oh, they were not good, but they made people laugh. And you know what? Sometimes that's my job. Yeah. That's my job here at this joint. It is. And, uh, you know, that and bringing the hard hitting news. And speaking of some hard hitting news, our secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, has tested positive for COVID. So he has got mild symptoms. I think he's in good health as far as I know. We'll keep you posted on that. And later today in this show, actually, I'll be talking with congressional reporter for The Guardian, our friend Hugo Lowell, who is my new favorite congressional reporter. He's got some information for us on the January 6th committee. And um, that's pretty much the show. We got the good news. We got all sorts of stuff. And you and I and Mary Trump just finished recording the final episode of the series of the MSW Book Club on her book, The Reckoning. So if you haven't picked that up yet, definitely order it. Listen to the seven-part series. And this Sunday on the MSW Book Club, you can hear Mary answer all of our patrons' questions. Absolutely. And patrons, thanks so much for submitting those. We had some good questions, great conversation. And I think you're really going to enjoy the last episode of the book club for that. Yes. And Sebastian was with us. So that that was very always entertaining <laughs> when Sebastian shows up. Indeed. Don't try and give any sort of an interview with a African gray parrot on your shoulder. It, it could cause injury. Let's just pull it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> All right. We do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Top story. I am dusting off my murder board because Oleg Deripaska's homes in New York City and the District of Columbia were raided this morning by the FBI. That is the FBI under Christopher Wray and part of the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland. Just a reminder. As another reminder, Deripaska is the Russian oligarch that received sensitive campaign polling data from Manafort, who owed him $18 million. Just I'm sure that's a coincidence. It's not because he actually said it was going to they were going to be made whole with, you know, he owed he owed 18 million and he paid it up in in polling data. And he did that via indicted Russian agent Konstantin Kalimnik. Manafort and Kalimnik met at Kushner's 666 Fifth Avenue Devil Building back in the day to exchange the goods. Then Kalimnik gave it to Oleg Deripaska, who was videotaped on his yacht, handing the info over to a Russian prime minister by sex coach Nastya Rybka. Deripaska is also the one sanctioned by the U.S. and has been denied several visas, though Mitch McConnell voted to lift those sanctions so he could partner with Deripaska's Russian aluminum company, Rusal, to build a plant in Kentucky until that deal fell through, which made me laugh. The investigation that spawned the raids 
is, quote, out of New York, but there's no information as to whether it's the Southern or Eastern District. But in order to get a warrant to raid his homes, the FBI would have had to have evidence. They would have used had to use that to convince a judge that there is fresh evidence of crimes in his homes. That crime or crimes probably has to do with sanctions violations, but we have no idea. We'll have to wait and see. And I'll be covering this extensively and how it might tie into Tom Barrick and, you know, possibly the absent from social media and cable news shows, Andrew Weissman, on this Sunday's Mueller She Wrote podcast, as it is most definitely Mueller related. I mean, that story, as you told it, I was like, if you took this story into a Hollywood studio, they'd be like, it's a little far fetched. Really? Sex coach? <laughs> Sex coach? Oh, like, now you've gone a step too far. Uh, yeah, no. So if, you, if you're wondering what I spent most of my time doing during the Mueller investigation and the Mueller She Wrote podcast, that was one of the big threads. Unbelievable. Now, this story is not an uplifting story. It's a frustrating one. Five times, five times as many police officers have died of COVID as gunfire since the start of the pandemic. Five times. The coronavirus has become the leading cause of death for officers, despite law enforcement being among the first groups eligible to receive, obviously, but not required, to receive the vaccine at the end of 2020. The total stands at 476 COVID-19-related deaths since the start of the pandemic. That's compared to 94 from gunfire in the same period. Now, reasons cited for the vaccine resistance among law enforcement officers range from disinformation to distrust in the science of the vaccines. Now, the debate mirrors growing tension nationally between unions and employers as cities and businesses seek to enforce vaccine mandates. And this is a quote, you're not drafted into this job. This is something you volunteer for. And that's what Charles Ramsey, a former Washington, D.C. police chief and CNN law enforcement analyst, said. He continued and said, you understand when you take the job, it's going to require some sacrifice on your part in a lot of different ways. Yes, in Chicago, there's up to half the rank and file officers in the nation's second largest police department face being placed on unpaid leave as their union and Mayor Lori Lightfoot clash over a city requirement that officers disclose their vaccine status. Now, Lightfoot on Friday accused the police union president, John Katan, Kat, Katanzara. Katanzara? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. All right. Of trying to induce an insurrection by telling officers to ignore a deadline to report vaccine status. Now, the city filed a complaint alleging the union was encouraging a work stoppage or strike. A Cook County Circuit judge ruled Friday night that Katanzara should not make public statements encouraging members to not comply with the vaccination policy. Now, Chicago officers had a deadline of midnight Thursday to disclose their vaccine status or be placed on unpaid leave. That's Katanzara said earlier this week. Lightfoot said the city would take the weekend to check with officers who haven't complied. She said that officers should report for duty until they're told by supervisors that they have been placed on leave. Now, earlier this month, the former president of the union from 2014 to 2017 died from COVID-19. In Miami, officers are resisting a vaccine mandate. In Pittsburgh, the police chief sent out emails encouraging officers to protect themselves as the Delta variant sent COVID-19 cases soaring in that area. In Seattle, the police department had all non-patrol sworn personnel, detectives, training, support staff, ready to respond to emergency calls ahead of Monday's vaccination mandate deadline. Hmm. Five times as many. 
the, the biggest, if, if protect and serve, protect, mm. protect. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a part of it. Physical protection of the most vulnerable in our society should fall under that. Yeah, I agreed. Thank you for that reporting. Discouraging, but we will see what happens. And Dana, remember how I said the Gates investigation wasn't stalled, but it was in fact expanding? Yes, you did. Tell me more. Well, beans come true. From CNN, Joel Greenberg, the former Florida official whose crimes in the state ensnared Matt Gates in a federal sex trafficking investigation, has been providing the Justice Department, that's Merrick Garland's Justice Department, with new information. I'm just going to keep reminding you as he continues to cooperate with authorities following a guilty plea earlier this year at a brief hearing in Orlando federal court Monday, Roger Handberg, an assistant U S attorney said that Greenberg has made allegations to investigators that quote, take us to some places we did not anticipate unquote. What investigators do, he said, is they follow up on that to try to corroborate the information that's been provided. That's Handberg again. Now, Greenberg, different Berg, former county tax commissioner and close friend of Matt Gates, pleaded guilty to six charges in May, admitting that he had knowingly solicited and paid a minor for sex. Hanberg did not say what investigations Greenberg was providing new information to authorities about, although CNN has reports that Greenberg has told the Justice Department about encounters he and Gates had with women who were given cash or gifts in exchange for sex. And AG from the Intrepid Daily Beans podcast has said this might have something to do with sham candidate elections as Rodriguez (laughs) pled guilty recently and they extended the sentencing. That's not here in the report. I'm just adding that. Of course, they wouldn't quote me. What? I'm just uh, what? I'm I'm never right. Stop it. Always wrong. (laughs) In court Monday, Hanberg called Greenberg a prolific criminal. And he says Mr. Greenberg was not alone. The hearing was held following a request by Greenberg's attorney to delay his sentencing for a second time so that he can continue to provide information. The DOJ has not opposed that request. Hanberg called for the need for a second delay unusual, but added the department was in an unusual situation given the number of different investigations and lines of investigations we are pursuing. He indicated this would be the last extension the Justice Department would need, and a judge agreed to move forward with the delay of the sentencing hearing until March. We'll have more again on Mueller, she wrote, this Sunday. Fantastic. Last story in this uh, segment, we've got Senate Republicans are blocking the confirmation of President Biden's nominee to oversee the prosecutions of hundreds of Trump supporters charged in the January 6th Capitol riot. Now, that's according to an insider interview with Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, the non-voting House member from Washington, D.C., so Biden in July nominated Matt Graves, a partner at the law firm DPL Piper and former federal prosecutor, to head the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia, which is prosecuting more than 600 cases stemming from the riot. The Senate Judiciary Committee unanimously advanced his nomination with bipartisan support last month, along with six other Biden picks, but Graves is the only one of the group who has yet to be confirmed. Hmm. The delay comes after Senate Republicans quietly placed a hold on his nomination. That's according to Norton. Now, Norton, who recommended Graves for the job, told Insider that the nomination is being, quote, used as leverage by Republicans, though he did not say which Republicans place the hold or what they want in order to release it. Now, the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. is the largest in the country and uniquely prosecutes both federal and local cases. The office has charged 674 people in connection with the riot so far, 100 of whom have pleaded guilty. The FBI is also searching for hundreds of other suspects its agents are still trying to identify. Now, both the D.C. office has also drawn criticism 
from judges who think prosecutors are being way too easy on some of the rioters. And we've agreed with that at the Beans. We also think there's a reason for that. Uh, We're hoping there's a reason for that, but both things can exist at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And uh, we do know Merrick Garland came out to defend the line prosecutors, saying some people say they're going too easy. Some people say they're going too harsh. I think it's a little odd that the ones that are saying that there's going too easy are like Judge Beryl Howell and the ones that are saying it's too harsh are like, you know, Trump appointed judges. But okay, All right, Merrick Garland, whatever you say. And a couple of late breaking stories, Dana, as we await the one six committee's vote on Bannon's criminal contempt referral, which just started a few minutes ago as we're recording this. They're expected to vote unanimously to advance the resolution to the House floor. And this is just in now. This is breaking news. The House will vote full. The full House will vote on this Thursday. So not Thanksgiving, as many people attacked me on social media, convinced (laughs) that was going to happen. You were worried about it based on flawed Politico reporting. I tried to explain to you it was flawed reporting and it wouldn't be Thanksgiving. (sighs) Listen to AG. I'll be talking about the 1-6 committee with congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell, after this break. And keep in mind, we recorded this interview before the breaking news that the full House vote was scheduled for Thursday. So everybody stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison for The Beans. There are some things in life that I like to pick up myself. So I know I've got the one that's best for me, like steaks or mattresses or bottles of wine. But what if you could do the same thing for hiring? choosing your ideal candidate before they even apply. That's where ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply comes in. It gives you, as the hiring manager, the power to pick your favorites from top candidates. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. So how does Invite to Apply work? Well, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for your job. Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. Lauren Webb, SVP of Talent Acquisition for Mandula Health, raves about ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply. She says, quote, I love that feature because we have a much higher follow through rate if I invite candidates. It's easy for me and it's easy for them. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employees use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply get on average two and a half times more candidates, which helps make for faster hiring processes. See for yourself. Just go to the exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. That's D-A-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And today's show is also brought to you by Tomboy X, my new favorite thing ever. I've searched for new underwear for a very long time because my previous ones never fit right. They didn't last long. They ended up in landfills. They didn't look right on me. But Tomboy X made underwear that actually gets me. I love my new boy shorts. I wear them everywhere. Well, in my house. I got the witch's brew print for Halloween. The design even glows in the dark. Very spooky. They're so awesome. With a boldly, unapologetically all-inclusive underwear line since 2014, Tomboy X caters to clients of every body type, shape, gender, and size. All sizes. From boxer briefs to bikinis, boy shorts to bras, every Tomboy X pair is made to fit you and how you see yourself. Besides underwear, they have loungewear and swimwear, socks, tees, and other accessories. Quality, fit, and inclusivity are the hallmarks of every product from Tomboy X. Their attention to detail includes no back seams to ensure a comfortable fit that doesn't ride up, plus silky waistbands that don't roll down no matter what size or shape you are. Tomboy X has the underwear that all bodies will love. And with their love at first wear guarantee, you can order risk-free while you find your perfect fit. Discover your inner tomboy and let me get you started with a special discount. Go to tomboyx.com and then enter code dailybeans, all one word, to get an extra 20% off. That's an extra 20% off when you enter the code dailybeans at tomboyx.com. Tomboyx.com. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm joined today by congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell. Hello, Hugo. Hi, how's it going? 
it's going well. Lots going on on the Hill right now. And uh, I wanted to first talk about something you tweeted out that we just found out about Bannon because, you know, we record this show uh, the night before it comes out and we have not yet had the vote as you and I talk on whether or not the committee on January 6th is going to move forward with criminal contempt. They're voting on that tonight at 730 Eastern. And, you know, we will cover that tomorrow. That vote could take some time because I think they're giving some time to each person to to make an argument, which should be fun. But tell us a little bit about uh, some reporting that you found out about Bannon's lawyers having discussions with the committee and, and what happened. Yeah. So Bannon's lawyers have actually been talking to the committee quite a lot over the last few weeks. And this all came out in the uh, draft contempt report that was published late last night, in which uh, they, commu- they detailed communications with uh, the lawyer, Robert Costello, who uh, broadly claimed executive privilege over everything in the subpoenas, including materials unrelated to the executive branch. So this included stuff like communications with members of Congress and uh, communications with the Trump campaign, which are obviously not protected by that presidential secrecy power. Uh, and then it emerged this morning that late last night, Costello had actually gotten back to the committee and said, look, we actually want to delay, or we want you to delay the business meeting where you're going to hold my client in contempt. And the reason he gave for this was slightly vexing because he said, we want the delay because Trump has filed this lawsuit with the National Archives uh, to block the National Archives from releasing White House records from his administration. And we need time to digest that. And I've spoken to some people in Bannon world and it sounds like this was a cover to say, well, Bannon actually wants to mull over the contempt report before it all goes forward. So things uh, seem to be hotting up a little bit uh, in uh, the embassy, in the Breitbart embassy, and it's all coming to a head. Well, I wonder what the reason, I mean, giving a, a reason to mull over the, the Trump lawsuit, which, you know, we covered yesterday, to try to block these National Archive documents seems disingenuous to me because, first of all, it really has nothing to do with Bannon's subpoena. But also, if his whole purpose for not showing up and defying the subpoena was that, you know, because Trump told him not to, I'm confused as to what that might have to do with waiting to see what Trump's lawsuit says. Right. And it's obviously got nothing to do with what Trump's lawsuit says. I think what has happened is, as the committee has proceeded with yeah, this actually pretty aggressive step, right? The moment the committee votes on the contempt report, they're expected to authorize it unanimously, I'm told, and it goes to the House for a full vote. It goes straight to the U.S. Attorney's office. And the U.S. Attorney is required by law to present it to a federal grand jury. And things will become very, very problematic for Bannon in very short space of time. So I think this was a, a kind of an off-ramp for Bannon to not have to backtrack, but then also say, look, we, you know, we are a little bit concerned now and we need some time to actually think over what our strategy is going to be. But, you know, Benny Thompson raised exactly what you just said. It's completely unrelated. It's not a valid basis for delaying the meeting. And in any case, it's not up to uh, Bannon's lawyer to delay the meeting. It's up to the committee and the committee decided that they wouldn't. So at 7.30 today, that business meeting is going to go ahead. And they are going to find Bannon in contempt of Congress. 
Yeah, and a couple of things, the the full House vote I want to ask you about, but also I just uh, saw Preet Bharara, former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, which, you know, has a little bit more of a reputation of being independent than the D.C. U.S. attorney's office. But they all do operate, he said, in, in some aspects, independently from main justice. And, and as you just mentioned, the law says that the, the U.S. attorney, the, the pertinent U.S. attorney, the D.C. U.S. attorney in this case, shall present any contempt referral, criminal contempt referral to a grand jury. But Preet also said it, w- it would probably be very likely that that D.C. U.S. attorney would also call the attorney general to at least brief or give him an update on on what's happening. Have you gotten any sense from any of the committee members whether or not they're expecting the D.C. U.S. attorney to to just go straight to a grand jury or if there will be some prosecutorial discretion on behalf of Merrick Garland? It's a very good question. And I don't think members are sure because once the House votes and sends it to the DOJ, they don't have control over the process anymore, right? Ostensibly, Garland is supposed to make a joint decision with the U.S. attorney and, I guess, the Office of Legal Counsel to determine how this all goes forward. But once it's gone from the House, it's gone from the House. That's now in the DOJ's hands. They expect them to move relatively quickly. And I don't know exactly what that's based on because it's not immediately clear how fast the U.S. attorney has to move on this. The statute doesn't actually say if he has to immediately bring it before a grand jury or if he has to convene a special grand jury in this instance or whether he can just bring it to a grand jury that's already sitting. And we've actually reached out to the U.S. attorney's office for some clarity on this and none has been forthcoming. So I think a lot of people are figuring out for the first time how this all works out um, because we've really not seen a move like this from the House and in, in real recent years. Yeah. And, and I have a quick question for you also on what happens after the committee votes tonight, which will be last night as people are listening to this. Time travel is real. I do have to take a quick break, though. Will you stay with me? Sure. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Lettuce Grow. Going to the grocery store, I realize how much organic produce is overly expensive. It's packaged in plastic that's bad for the environment and has traveled who knows how far to get to me. So I did a little research, and the average head of lettuce travels 1,500 miles from farm to table. Over 52% are wasted in transit, and produce loses about you know, 50% of its nutritional value 24 hours after it's harvested. Not only that, but 70% of produce contains residue from harmful chemicals and pesticides. Lettuce Grow is here to help with hydroponic gardens that can help you grow fruits and veggies. No green thumb required. You've seen lettuce grow farm stands all over social media. It's a self-watering, self-fertilizing hydroponic unit that allows you to grow your own farm fresh produce at home. Over 200 varieties of fruits and veggies, including edible flowers, tomatoes, strawberries, and even eggplant. With only five minutes of maintenance each week, it can grow up to 36 plants at once. You get pre-grown seedlings that are non-GMO, never exposed to harmful chemicals or additives, and ready to harvest in four to six weeks. Uses 95% less water than traditional gardening, and there's no waste. Only four square feet of space is needed, indoors or out. They're made of food-grade, environmentally friendly materials, and one is donated for every 10 sold to a school, nonprofit, or organization. Go to lettucegrow, L-E-T-T-U-C-E-G-R-O-W, lettucegrow.com slash beans to shop the farm stand. And be sure to use our promo code beans at checkout for $50 off the farm stand. There's a 90-day guarantee, and we have less than a 1% return rate. That's $50 off the farm stand 
at letusgrow.com slash beans. And thank you to Let Us Grow for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by Everlane. They offer denim that fits your routine, your look, your life. I love wearing denim. The versatility and classic indigo blue color and the sense of freedom and that rugged adventure sort of rebel without a cause feel. Everlane makes the best denim. Whether you're getting into nature, getting into trouble, or getting into cool weathered layers, you can't go wrong with denim from Everlane. It's ethically made. It's perfectly fit. It's denim you can get behind. I love how Everlane denim flatters every form. Everlane engineered three signature fits to hit all the right places. Once you know your favorite, you just pick a fabric, a leg shape, and voila, you found your perfect pair of jeans. They're way high jeans. They're highest rise, one of my favorites. They define your true waist for a flattering rise in a straight classic cut. The cheeky jeans offer an easy high rise and slightly curved to get, you know, give you your best butt. And the slouch jeans come with a relaxed low mid rise and straight slouchy cut that sits at your hips for extra comfort and a cool factor. Looking for form flattering jeans, premium organic jeans, minus the luxury markup, starting at just $78. Everlane denim is some of the most sustainable, ethical, and thoughtful in the industry. They believe everyone has a right to know how much their denim costs to make, so they share the true cost of each pair of jeans, from materials to labor to transportation. So go to everlane.com slash dailybeans and sign up for 10% off your first order plus free shipping. And get easy returns within 30 days of your ship date. That's 10% off your first order when you go to everlane.com slash dailybeans and sign up. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell. And Hugo, before the quick break there, I had mentioned that, you know, to you, you said tonight, 730 Eastern, the, the, the House committee, the select committee will vote on criminal contempt, and then that will go to a full House vote. Have you seen any indication about when that full House vote will be scheduled or have they, is there a required notice? Remember, there was a three day notice that you reported about for the committee to vote on it. Do we know if their House rules put any kind of mandatory notice on on a full House vote or if, if anyone said anything about when that might be scheduled? Because you know, as you said, once it leaves the House, it leaves the House, but they do kind of have control over how fast this vote moves through the full House. Yeah, that's right. I think Hoyer's office is uh, the majority leader, Stanley Hoyer, is, is supposed to take the lead on bringing what will be the resolution to the House floor. There wasn't an update on timing as of this morning, but what kind of sources in, in his office suggest to me is that it really depends on uh, Benny Thompson and talks they have between the committee and leadership. I mean, in theory, they could bring it as quickly as, I guess, the following day. You know, votes happen at 6.30 today in the House, and then the committee meets at 7.30. So unlikely that it will go straight to a House vote immediately after the the report is discharged from the select committee. But I think you're looking at a time frame anywhere from this week, but potentially as late as around Thanksgiving and you know, people have also been floating ideas about maybe it'll be closer to you know, the start of November, but it's kind of speculation at this point. It sounds very much like Hoyer's quite open to moving on this, however quickly Benny Thompson, the chairman of the select committee, wants to move on this. And given they are up against a hard deadline um, before the end of this Congress and a softer deadline, I guess, before the midterms next year when they want to get the final report out, they do have to kind of expedite this because we're starting to run out of time. I mean, we're in October already. If they drag this out through the courts, we could end up in into December, into January. So they do have to start moving and getting this out of the House into the DOJ. Yeah. And I've heard those Thanksgiving speculations. I think Politico had put out an article and it wasn't a direct quote from anyone. It was just sort of, a, I think, a, a representation of something that someone had said anonymously to them. But yeah, I think they do have the power to move pretty quickly on this. And like you said, they are up against a time clock. But 
we're talking days, weeks, you know, tops when we don't know how long it's going to take in the Department of Justice. As you said, there are a lot of considerations to be made. Are they going to pick up the phone with Garland? What is their prosecutorial discretion? And how long will it take to present to a grand jury, whether they go to a sitting one or, you know, have to impanel a new one? As you said, it's not really clear in the rules. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of what the DOJ is going to weigh here are the facts of the case. And, you know, the DOJ has has come out publicly to kind of distance themselves from Biden's comments saying, look, we are independent of the administration. We're going to move at our own pace. But what's becoming increasingly clear, especially with the report last night, is that the executive privilege claim that Bannon is using to shield himself from from deposition and from having to produce documents is that it really doesn't apply. There's a kind of an interesting precedent set by Trump's former White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, in 2019 regarding the deposition of non-government employees. And it relates to Corey Lewandowski when he testified before the House Judiciary Committee in 2019. There was a lot of back and forth, but Lewandowski ultimately testified and he ultimately answered questions. And in that letter that Cipollone sent to Nadler that authorized Lewandowski's appearance, it basically acknowledges that neither the president or in in the case of Bannon, a former president, can exert executive privilege over senior White House aides in the first instance. But they also can't really exert it over non-government employees because as was the case of Bannon, who hasn't been a White House employee since 2017, his communications with people are not privileged. And that's just all separate to the members of communications you have with members of Congress and people not related to the executive branch. So if you look at the facts of the case and the merits of the case, to me and to people on the select committee and to counsel on the select committee, it looks like an open and shut case, which may allow them to move pretty fast. Hum, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, we all knew that, you know, because of Obama's executive order, et cetera, and just common sense that executive privilege doesn't extend to non-governmental employees. But you're saying that there's actually a letter from White House counsel, Trump's White House counsel, Cipollone, confirming that. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and look at the 2019 letter, Pat Cipollone effectively memorializes the path with which a House committee can request testimony from a non-government employee that's connected to the administration or connected to the campaign. The bottom line is that he testified and he answered questions. It was a long process, but Lewandowski testified publicly before the House Judiciary Committee. And so for Bannon to claim that he cannot appear at all because of executive privilege, which is just not supported by the facts, and it's not supported by Trump's own former White House counsel. Yeah, I remember that testimony too. Boy, Lewandowski was a peach. Yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming Ban- Bannon won't be much, much different. And again, so interesting that they asked to, to delay after already defying the subpoena, because as we know, right, am I correct that Kosh Patel and Meadows have actually been working with them pre not showing up and therefore they're being a little more lenient with with the two of them, it seems. Yeah. So Patel and Meadows are supposedly, quote, engaging with the committee. But if you talk to members on the committee, they increasingly say they regard that so-called outreach by their counsel as something of a delaying tactic. They're in negotiations, it sounds like, over the extent of their cooperation. Now, you know, these subpoenas are supposed to be negotiable. So members, I think, are starting to run out of patience with these guys. 
And the way it looks like, you know, reporting on this committee, it does seem like Meadows and Patel and I guess also Scavino is looking at the way Bannon's case is playing out and using that as a benchmark for how much they want to defy their subpoena or how much they want to cooperate with the committee. Because it seems very, very likely now, and it wasn't the case necessarily a week or two weeks ago, that this would all proceed and that Bannon would be held in contempt. But now that the stakes are getting very real, I do wonder if they will either decide to cooperate or if someone like Meadows really thinks he has a claim for executive privilege and he can fight it. But yes, they've been granted a temporary reprieve. I just don't know how long that lasts now. And I know Scavino's lawyers asked for a tiny bit of a delay because he uh, evaded service for so long that they wanted more time. Do, do you know if that was granted, that delay was granted for Scavino or not? Scavino also got a reprieve. His testimony has been postponed and all these all these, all these, these deposition dates have been postponed to a to an unspecified date. So it's not exactly clear how long these guys are going to get. I think the point with Scavino, though, is the committee is really doing him a favor. Mm-hmm. You don't actually have to serve congressional committees in person and have someone accepted in hand. So long as you materially know about the subpoena and you know the contents of the subpoena, I mean, and everyone knows the contents of the subpoena. It's been on cable for the last you know, three weeks. You are technically, since you actually have knowledge of the subpoena, you may be compelled to comply. Yeah. And so the committee is doing, you know, Scavino a favor and, you know, to kind of insulate from attacks to say, oh, you know, this is just a partisan committee. But again, with him, it's not a very, very strong case at all. And the committee, I think, may move very quickly soon after this business meeting today to deal with these three effectively who are recalcitrant witnesses. Yeah. And that makes sense that they would cross every T and dot every I and give all the due process they they possibly can, as they did with waiting until Bannon defied both parts of his subpoena before they began criminal contempt proceedings. It, it makes sense in a case of this magnitude, this kind of net with national attention that they would make sure that they go through complete due process and not skip any steps to avoid criticism. And so, you, you know, if you've got any criminal referrals, your case doesn't get overturned. <laughs> mm. And in this case, I think the other point to note is that the committee does actually want to talk to these people, right? It's They are marquee witnesses. Yeah. They are people who knew intimately what was going on on Insurrection Eve on January 5th what was going on at the White House, what was going at Trump International Hotel, what was going on at the Willard Hotel, where the Trump campaign was strategizing how to overturn the election and stop the certification the following day at the joint session. So they are important witnesses, and the committee would like to speak to them. So it's also, it's it's a bit of a risk-reward, right? It's a bit of carrot and stick. You can always punish them, but the more aggressive you go, the you know, it's just because you convict them of contempt of Congress and they get fined $100,000 or they spend a year in jail doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to comply with your subpoena. You may punish them as much as you like, but if you don't actually get the testimony at the end of the day and you have holes where you, know, you don't understand or the committee doesn't understand what actually happened on crucial days before the insurrection, then that is actually a problem for the investigation. So they are trying to secure their compliance. And so they are trying to give these guys a lot of leeway so that they might be more compelled to give them something rather than nothing. Yeah, makes sense. I appreciate your time today. I know you got to get back. Thanks so much. Everybody check out The Guardian congressional reporter Hugo Lowell. Thank you so much. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG. As we know, healthy snacks have a bad rep. And let's be honest, they don't taste very good most of the time. They don't fill you up. and They certainly don't satisfy your cravings. But this episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, who's changing it all. 
They uh, make snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats, but with less than one gram of sugar or, you know, fewer. And Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're gluten-free and grain-free. They're plant-based. They're non-GMO. They have no soy or trans fats and no sugar alcohols and no high-intensity sweeteners. And while they're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, they're great for anyone who's trying to snack better. They're the perfect snack for anyone who's trying to do that or, you know, trying to cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing your need for snacks. It's amazing. Uh, You know, I've been trying to eat better and the Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have helped. They're filling and satisfying and they're delicious. Uh, Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have soft, chewy texture. They come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter and blueberry almond vanilla. My favorite right now, coconut cocoa chip. I love me some coconut. It reminds me of those granola bars from my childhood too. And by shopping online, you can avoid a trip to the grocery store and always be stocked with your snacks. And we have a special deal. You get 20% off your purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering code DAILYBEANS, all one word at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or they'll refund your money, whatever you prefer. So there's no risk. To get started, go to MonkPack.com, select any product, enter code DAILYBEANS at checkout and save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And today's show is also brought to you by Wealthfront. A lot of investment apps make it easy to start trading, but just because they make it easy doesn't mean you're, you're doing the right thing. You know, that's what makes Wealthfront so different. They make it easy to invest and they make it easy to get smarter about it. Start with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or make it your own with socially responsible funds or crypto trusts and hundreds of other investments. Either way, they'll set you up in minutes with a portfolio you can count on for the long term. Wealthfront was designed by financial experts to help you turn good ideas into great investments without the hassle of having to do everything yourself. You're protected from unnecessary risk because your portfolio is diversified across asset classes. If you don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill, that's cool because they help you do that. And if you're not sure how to rebalance your portfolio, or if you're like me and you don't know what rebalancing is, they do it automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. Get your first $5,000 managed for free at Wealthfront.com slash Daily Beans. It takes just minutes to start building your wealth. So visit Wealthfront.com slash Daily Beans. Again, Wealthfront.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow it on. Good news is on the way. And if you have any good news stories, confessions, corrections, what the mutt, find the cat, shit kids say, you want to tell me how dumb you think Louis Gomert is, you want to just send photos of your happy place, whatever you want to send in to us, if you want to start a new game too, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. We would appreciate hearing from you, especially corrections. We haven't had a few in a while, so let me know what happens with that. And I'm not saying that because I'm rad and don't need to be corrected. We usually get tons of corrections. And I feel like I was like, I've gotten corrected almost every episode. I'm glad you feel so free from all this. <laughs> I feel like I'm making mistakes and nobody's calling me out on it. Please do. Oh, my God. I'm going to start sending them in anonymously. <laughs> <laughs> that would be rad. Uh, anonymous. Could you imagine? This one's from Anonymous. Uh, it sure sounds like the way Dana speaks. It's her cadence. <laughs> Everyone starts with Dana is amazing, but AG, I have some nits. I have something I got to tell you about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that's funny. First up from Ian, no pronouns given. Dear Beans Queens, greetings from England. Greetings, Ian. A year ago, I wrote to you with some good news. So perhaps this is becoming a regular habit. Yes, once a year. Very, very habitual, Ian. I appreciate it. 
I wrote a year ago because my then 10-month-old had been ill, and I was so grateful for the care he received. As I said then, with the election looming for you guys, universal health care is a right, not a privilege. I am a, a pediatric surgeon, and this is something I'm deeply passionate about. I'm proud of the world-class care my colleagues and I provide, and I'm grateful to live in a country where we all know that the care we need will be available to us. I also then bought a gift MSW membership. As a small contribution I can make to your fight as a non-American, I can't donate to the many vital campaigns, but I can do this small thing. So I write today with three pieces of good news. October has been a good month. First of all, I have got another guest membership. Your fight is our fight. Our current buffoon of of a prime minister models himself on your former liar-in-chief. As a Welsh listener commented the other day, it's the same tactics and often the same people that we are fighting. Yes, correct. Thank you. I'm so glad that someone got something out of me (laughs) reading that submission. I heard two weeks ago, number two, that I had passed the FRCS in pediatric surgery. That is the UK equivalent of being board certified in pediatric surgery. Please note my change of spelling there. (laughs) Yes, I did see that. Nice. But here's the really exciting one. Number three, my amazing wife has been offered a two book deal for her debut novel and the sequel she's working on. The past 18 months have been tough. COVID has ravaged the UK in part due to arrogant incompetence of those in charge. Sound familiar? I have been writing up my PhD whilst working full-time as a senior registrar, senior resident, in pediatric surgery and studying for the fellowship exam. Therefore, my brilliant, wonderful wife has had to do more than her fair share of caring for our children aged three and a half and 22 months. Oh my gosh. Somehow at the same time, she's managed to write a complete novel in the first 30% of the next one. I have no idea how, but her success is so deserved. So if if an Agatha Christie-like murder mystery is your kind of reading and you like the idea of a story in which all the main characters are female and set in the 1930s in England, then follow at Lizzie Bentham. That's L-I-Z-Z-I-E-B-N-T-H-A-M on Twitter for announcements of publication dates. I love your shows because you're on the side of the angels fighting the tough fight because progress is never given to us. We have to fight for it every tiny gain. Murder in Her First Degree is out in hardback and ebook in summer of 2022. I have nothing for pet tax, so here's our gorgeous boys doing what they do best, looking cute. And, and yes, they <laughs> yes, are. They <laughs> oh, man. All adorable babies. So sweet. Shall I take the next two, my yes, friend? Yes, take the next two and congratulations right. on the book deal to your wife, Ian. Definitely. All right. This is from KC, pronouns she, her, or they, them. Just come with pet tax. Uh, maybe a what the mutt? Here's Coda and Maddie, white doggo in the cone and gray doggo in the t-shirt, respectively. <laughs> I would say there's a poodle terrier. <laughs> it looks like a... That one's... A, it looks like a, like a... A poodle chihuahua? Uh, yeah, or like a, like a poodle cocker. And then the other one is just adorable, like a little Benji. So look sweet. At the, look at the, it's like his feet, ha, the, like his feet have beard. Does the baby have an ace bandage on his paw? Looking. Looks like he's all wrapped up. Yeah. He may have had a hot spot. He probably had a hot spot. He was looking well, at something. Well, he had the cone too. Look so maybe, maybe it we're, was. Uh, we're now diagnosing animals. If anyone's no, no, curious. I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> See, now the cone uh, indicates probably some sort of like maybe uh you know spay or neuter and that might have been where the iv went that little wrap on the foot oh look at you oh i didn't even see that's really funny i didn't even see that part of the picture all makes sense now all right continuing on this is from paul pronouncing him dear leguminati fantastic interview last week with fiona hill 
Although she's clearly achieved a ton in her career, I wonder how much more she could have contributed without all the sexist bullshit she's had to overcome. Mm. It really highlights the cost to society of discrimination of any sort. Think of how much we could have accomplished as a society if rather than ginning up fear of those who are different from us, we embrace and nurtured those talents. Just over a year ago, mm. I COVID retired. They offered me, I accepted. For my 30 plus year career with a large multinational tech company, to its credit, for a huge soulless corporation, my company was relatively progressive, recognizing and extending benefits to same-sex partners very early on and actively trying to recruit more women and more diverse workforce. Currently, both the CIO and CEO are women. Nonetheless, like many tech companies, the workforce was heavily weighted toward white men, especially in leadership positions. I gravitated to what were referred to condescendingly as soft skill roles like training, knowledge management, technical writing, and customer support. Although I'm sure that slowed my career, and I never made it out of middle management, it allowed me to work for and with some amazing women, and also tended to be more heavily slotted into these soft roles. So thanks to Nancy, Marlene, Margaret, Lolita, Eileen, Bobby, Reiki, Awilda, Angela, Louise, Mel, and too many others to name for everything I learned from them about leadership, kindness, and humanity. And thank you, DGAG, Amy, etc., for continuing to enrich this new chapter of my life. And most of all, thanks to my daughter, who is fearless, roller derby playing, rock climbing warrior, and to my wife, who is the most amazing person I have ever met. My goodness, Paul, keep going. As my pet tax, I'm including more pictures of Luigi and Eloise. Luigi has discovered that he loves <laughs> soccer and actively participates whenever it's on TV. Our nickname for Luigi is Roy Kent. Nice. <laughs> From the Ted Lasso show, because like Roy Kent's chant from the Richmond Soccer Club fans, he's here. He's, he's, here. he's every fucking he's there. where. Roy he's Kent. every fucking where. Roy Kent. Nice. Well done. Luigi's big sister, Eloise, is starting to tolerate him more, as you can tell by their ever diminishing physical distance. <laughs> you couldn't play him with the soccer. Oh my God. So funny. The second picture. How's this? Is this okay? Oh, is this okay? So cute. Thank you. Thank you for that submission. That's wonderful. And so well written, Paul. I appreciate you. Next up from Jen, pronouns she and her. Hello. So long time listener, first time writer. I have a confession. When you were out of town and had the guest host from Swing Left, I was sure when the guy was first speaking, it was Andy McCabe. I was like, score, AG. That's so awesome. You got him to guest host. This must be his wife. <laughs> I quickly found out I was so wrong. Anyway, I was thinking about this submission for a couple of weeks and finally worked up the nerve when I heard the actual Andy McCabe on the show this morning. For Pod Pet Tax, please accept this picture of Rosie, my girl through thick or thin, seen here in a comfy spot as usual. Thank you, Jen. So sweet. <laughs> All right. What do you think this uh, at Panda Chronicle? Oh, there we go. That's easy enough when I read it out loud. This next one's from at Panda Chronicle <laughs> on Twitter. Pronouns she and her. I guess this is combined good news and Apple for people to vote in their local school board elections. I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir here, as I imagine most of the faithful Luminati are dedicated participants in the democratic process. But even our little liberal enclave on the south end of the island in the Puget Sound is under attack in the upcoming school board election. Mm. We have three absolutely fabulous and way overqualified women running for re-election and a trio of malignant advocates for TFG. The husband of one is verified three percenter. His Facebook page is very scary, and I could only see some of it without sending a friend request, which I definitely was not going to do. 
I had to run my computer through the dishwasher after just a glimpse Mm -hmm. of his page. So I guess what I want to remind your listeners of is even if you know you are going to vote, consider reaching out by phone or email to all your friends in the area and remind them of the importance of voting. I wrote a letter about our local race and the candidates in which I'm sending to all my friends in the district. The challengers have refused to participate in the League of Women Voters Forum and so far have ignored the local newspaper's request for information. They have, allegedly, stolen the signs of the incumbent board members and are alleging to have stolen the Black Lives Matter signs that were put up by students at our local high school Mm. three times. I'm also writing and drawing some comics about the race. I may just be pissing into the wind, but if it's cold enough, it just feels like rain. (laughs) Wow. Also, I have no pet tax. So here's a panda. And I love pandas. So thank you for this picture. And thank you for the comic. This is awesome. Everybody will include this uh, in the notes. This is so great. Politics on the Prowl. I love it. So, so good. All righty here. Let's see. Finally, uh, we have a submission from Sarah. Pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans Queens. This is a correction. Oh, good. In regards to the Australian cattle dog ACD tales and whether or not they should be docked. I'm on the ACD Facebook page, and this can be a very polarizing topic, along with Furminator brushes. FYI, don't ask that question. Wow. Uh, I had a Furminator brush, but okay. I have done a quick search, and it's pretty easy to find the information that backs up the position you want. I know. One thing all ACD owners agree on is that the breed sheds twice a year, from January to June and from July to December. (laughs) The ACD uses its tail like a rudder. And it helps the dog do sharp turns that are essential to herding cattle as well as competing in agility. They also look amazing. In Australia, docking is actually illegal, but not in the United States. They are the best dogs ever. Ours is named Nisha. We got her when our autistic son started wandering off at night. He only did it once, but it was all I needed to finally convince the hubby to get a dog. Pick one why I think Dana has great hair. Pick two why ACDs need their tails. (laughs) Pick three, my dog's usual spot to wait for me when I come home from work. I'm just checking out the view. LOL. Thanks for all you do. I love listening to you here in Australia. I'm terrified for y'all, but keep up the good work. And there, yeah, that makes sense. Look at her hair. Looks great. I love the gray. And uh, yeah, and any given day when I wear mine down, it looks very close to that. (laughs) Look at this dog on the bed taking up the entire side. So sweet. Oh, look how cute. Looking out the window. No. So adorable. Both of them. Great picture. Thank you, Sarah, for that information. I, I, you're going to have to write back and tell me what the what the Furminator argument is. I have one for my cat. Anyway, <laughs> let me know. Because <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh, is it bad? Is it good? Should I not use it? Oh, is it owned by Russia? What's happening? No, good Lord. Yeah, so let us know. And thanks, everyone, for sending in your stuff. If you have anything to send in, again, you could do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I'm off to watch this vote. Dana, do you have anything you want to... Uh, leave our listeners with not yet it might get bit you know i may have something to say tomorrow but right now i'm i'm good awesome and i didn't mean like ours like you belong to us just you know the i should say oh no i i you i do belong oh. to you <laughs> great we belong to them oh you meant yeah, the listeners be- yeah the listeners belong we, to us too don't give them an out are you kidding me we belong to them i belong to i belong to you all <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long day. Everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other, me included. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane. 
with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.